Thanks to our sponsor, Malloy Law Offices. They are a personal injury law firm here in the local D.C. area that helps others recover from car accidents, work injuries, slip and fall injuries, and other types of accidents. They work on what's called a contingency fee basis. So if you hire Malloy Law Offices after an accident, then you never pay anything out of pocket. They also offer educational content and free consultations for those who have more questions than answers, like us at DC by Foot. We're really excited to partner with them next month to learn all about personal liability as a tour guide in Washington, D.C. Visit their website at malloy-law.com or call their offices at 202-335-6141. Malloy Law Offices is open 24-7, so don't hesitate to get the right legal help you need after a personal injury accident. another mini episode did we decide to call this should have asked a tour guide we'll just yeah. Yeah. maybe <clears throat> very nonchalant about our our <laughs> our episodes uh we are no longer in person we're back on zoom <laughs> i know uh oh are you recording locally do you oh um can you do that i don't th- i don't have an account so i'm not sure oh all right don't worry about it it'll be fine um uh, quality of content is better than quality of recording. Mm, I'll go with that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Off the top of my head. Uh so we thought that we could talk about one of the one of the parts of Washington DC that's very uniquely DC, but often overlooked, I feel, um, when people visit DC to think about places to tour or even think about just D.C. in general, and that is an area of the city called Embassy Row. Now, how long is your Embassy Row tour? Two hours, right? Two hours, yeah. Sometimes. But it it could be longer. It could be longer, yes. There's so much going on in the neighborhood, yes. So much. So we're not going to talk two hours about Embassy Row, because Dan and I are never going to talk two hours about anything, um, because these are minisodes. We could. We could, though. Um, so very highlight history of Embassy Row, I think should be a good topic for this, um, this week's episode. Rope people in. Yeah. And what's there. Like, this is what Embassy Row is. Now, if you want to know more about what is on Embassy Row, visit Washington, D.C. and take our Embassy Row tour. Sounds like we should put that at the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, editing magic. I'll fix it in post, Dan. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so. How do you like to start your Embassy Row spiel? I usually focus on the history of DuPont Circle because I think that sort of informs how Embassy Row gets to be Embassy Row. And DuPont Circle, if you look at a map of D.C., just to sort of let you know what exactly we're talking about, Embassy Row typically is defined as from Scott Circle, which is almost a mile exactly north of the White House, right on 16th Street. And then that goes northwest 
to Sheridan Circle through DuPont Circle. Um, so I always like to focus on the history of DuPont. And it's fascinating to me because I'm like an, an urban development geek. Mm. And DuPont and Embassy Row are such great sort of historical examples of some interesting urban development. Um, so one of the first things I always like to tell people, especially when we're in DuPont Circle, this thriving, beautiful neighborhood and these gorgeous buildings and beautiful old houses, um, I like to tell people, especially since it's like, you know, a mile and a half from the White House, that this used to be the boonies. Like there, this was nothing. Nothing was out there. Um, just woods and forest and something called Slash Run, which was basically a natural sewer. <laughs> it was not a pleasant place to be, even though if you look at the original L'Enfant map, um, DuPont Circle or the, the circle that becomes DuPont Circle was part of the original plan. They just never get to it for like almost a hundred years. Um, so really the story of DuPont starts with, I think we've examined, have we examined Boss Shepard in our- oh, That will be a future episode. Oh, we need to do Boss Shepard. Boss <laughs> Shepard is, is fascinating. Um, he is sort of the epitome of the Gilded Age where he is doing a lot of good things for the city in terms of his position as sort of like... But with what money? <laughs> yeah, but with what money? From money, lots of money from Congress. Because um, one of the other things I like to point out at the beginning of my DuPont tour is that in the 1870s, 1880s, we were expanding west rapidly uh, as a country. And a lot of people started to think, mm, D.C. is kind of far away from places like California, and maybe we should recenter our uh, our capital. So I think St. Louis was St. Louis was the uh, the possible uh, movement of the capital. And Boss Shepard basically comes to Congress and he says, no, 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 that's going to cost too much money moving everyone out there. Let me turn D.C. into a city that is worthy of being the capital. Um, because even in the 1870s, 1880s, there was a lot of growth to the city uh, during the Civil War and after the Civil War. Um, but it's still sort of a nothing. It's not a capital of of a world class power. Um, like everything was unpaved. Yeah, mud everywhere. There's there, there's that great book called like City of Mud. Empire um, of Mud. Empire of Mud. Yeah, that's a, a great, great book though. <laughs> um, but that that describes Dupont Circle in the 1860s, 1870s. It it is mud. Um, but Boss Shepard, who also happens to be double dealing during this time because he's part oh, of a private... We're going to get into that. Don't oh, we're not... All right, we're not going to get into my, my Shepard episode. All right, all right. But Boss Shepard is typical Gilded Age politician. He's doing a lot of good things for the city, but he's also making a lot of personal profit oh. off of the good things he's doing. And one of the things he did is he bought up DuPont. He, he bought up all the area as a private investor, as part of private investors. And then he pumped you know, the equivalent of millions and millions and millions of dollars into um, basically creating it along the L'Enfant plan. So he had, so there's brand new streets, there's shiny new big lots. Um, and in the 1870s, 1880s, rich folks get to be really rich. That's, that's the Gilded Age. That's the I think that's sort of almost the origination of this idea of like anyone can strike it big. Um, and indeed, that's sort of the how the houses, these beautiful houses 
that will become embassies later on. That's how many of them get built, is by rich folks who had never been rich before. They have no idea what to do with their money. Um, so they look over across the continent or across the ocean at Europe, at amazing capitals like Paris and London. And they see that the, you know, the very wealthy there had built these gorgeous mansions and townhomes. And they say, hey, let's do that in our capital. Um, so Boss Shepherd basically like redevelops this whole area and what will become embassy road dupont circle that whole thing and it's just it's fresh it's fresh infrastructure waiting for millionaires to build their homes and that's basically what happens for the next you know 30 years or so um into the 19 teens 1920s <clears throat> you have uh just incredibly incredible wealth massive wealth that Again, if you come on the Embassy Road tour, you can see in these houses even today. Um, but just incredible amounts of wealth are being poured into these houses. But it's pretty short-lived. Before <laughs> you is... move on to what happens, okay. I want to kind of paint a picture. Oh, yeah, paint a picture. For our listeners. Have you seen the TV show The Gilded Age? Have I? No, I have HBO. Not. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I am asking you, not our listeners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> The listeners, have you seen the show The Gilded Age? Because I always use that, not always, because it's it came out like a year ago. I recently use that as a way of kind of describing what this millionaire's row was like. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's very enjoyable. Um, it is not necessarily the most historically accurate. <laughs> the, the big oh. thing I dislike about the show is how clean they make Victorian era New York City. Oh, yeah. Like, no. It was the it's so it is so clean in the TV show. And I was like, oh my God, that is not no. at all what it would <laughs> look like. But these beautiful, massive, ornate uh buildings that feature in the show, because kind of not to ruin the premise of the show. I don't know how many of you are actually gonna go watch it. Um, is kind of like old money versus new money. So like as a society in New York and Philly and Boston, you have this mentality of the upper class elite came over on the Mayflower or signed the declaration or has been wealthy for generations. But there is there, you know, there's not a generational thing, DC. You know, there mm -hmm. isn't old money in DC because DC is not old. It's like the nouveau riche, those who struck it rich, uh, can come here. Do you um do you talk about what DuPont? I also enjoy how we emphasize different syllables when we say the name. DuPont. You say DuPont, and I say DuPont. <laughs> um, I don't know which one's accurate. Uh, but uh, do you, on your tour, do you talk all about what it was called before it was called DuPont Circle? Or are you getting into that in your spiel? Um, I was actually going to skip over that, but. But that's a good point to sort of show how barren and nothing was out there. We, it originally was called Pacific Circle because it was like the edge of D.C. <laughs> it before was you hit the Pacific West. Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that always confused me. So I'm I'm glad they, they renamed it. It would be confusing. Yeah. Pacific Circle. Yeah. Because there's nothing Pacific. <laughs> it's, it's very oh. far. <laughs> But that was the original name before, I think, the 19-teens when Congress decided to honor Admiral DuPont. I won't talk about the statue, but there's cool stories about the statue. So mm -hmm. can, come That on could be another mini episode. Just yeah, that, actually, that could be yeah. another. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. All right. 
So where was that? We we have the picture. We have the new That is very important to understand that these are new rich um, that are building these beautiful mansions. And kind of two things happen simultaneously um, that stops this. And number one is... um, I just lost my train of thought. Number one is the invention of the car. Um, so DuPont Circle, you know, being a mile and a half away from the White House was considered the suburbs like the these rich folks were out in what we would think of the suburbs, but it's a mile and a half from the center of the city. Um, but once the car is invented, that's when we start to get actual suburbs, what we think of as suburbs. Rich folks realize that they don't have to build these giant mansions like five feet from another giant mansion. They can actually go out into the country and build even more magnificent homes. And that's what a lot of them start to do. And then the other component is, of course, the the crash of the stock market, the the Dep- Great Depression of nineteen uh, of the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. So that starts to sap a lot of the wealth that had built these houses. So a lot of them go unused for a long time some of them uh, end up in states of disrepair um and it's really difficult to sell these things because not only is you know the property value alone very expensive and these old houses are beautiful and basically works of art some of them um, but that also means the upkeep on them is really expensive so even if you could possibly afford uh the initial purchase price of one of these fabulous mansions Trying to manage the upkeep is also going to be a big money drain. You um, mean so to tell me there's not a lot of people in the 1930s who want a 60 bedroom house with a bar? No, it's it's shocking. Um, it's shocking how that works. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of these things start to sit uh, unused, and then a few. Th- I usually make the joke on my tour that um, even though no one person or several people can afford these houses, really the only entities that could afford these houses are individual nations (laughs) you had to have the wealth of an individual nation in order to purchase these homes and that's what starts to happen right at the same time that we have some of the first um, purpose-built embassies so a lot of the embassies before embassy row were just sort of houses along 16th street with easy access to the white house Um, they were up further in what we today call like um, malcolm x park or meridian hill park um, that was sort of the the epicenter of embassies before uh, the time of Embassy Row. So um, you have the Japanese embassy that's built in 1931, right on Massachusetts Avenue, aka Embassy Row, and the British embassy, which is still the biggest embassy that that almost marks the end of Embassy Row up there. Um, it is a huge embassy, beautiful. It's basically a compound. I, w- I don't even want to call it an embassy. Yeah. It's a massive compound. It is right next to today, the vice president's house. It wasn't when they built it, but um, that is sort of nice access for them being our, our grandest and most traditional ally, you know, in the 20th century. Right. Um, and so more and more nations use these houses as um, status symbols. Um, and so more and more of them get purchased and bought up. And you have this slow conversion from the 1920s to through the 1940s, 1950s, from calling this area Millionaire's Row to what we like to call it today, Embassy Row. Where are we on time? Oh, <laughs> I have, I don't even know how to tell that uh, information. But I that, know. no, that was good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got that. <clears throat> 
that is how it became MSC row. What is your favorite site on MSC row? Oh, I think, yeah, it's so hard. There's so many good stories. Um, one of my favorite stories that I think is very key to DC is the Turkish embassy mm. and, and sort of the cool things that happen with the Turkish embassy and how important it is to the jazz era and um, Ray Charles. And that's all I'm going to give you. I was going to say, I know what you're talking about. Everyone's going to be like, um, excuse me, hold on. What? Yes, the Turkish are interested in Turkish. what the Turkish embassy has to do with Ray Charles. Um, Ray Charles might not exist without the Turkish embassy. Is all I'm saying. I mean, he would exist. I mean, he would exist, but maybe not. As <laughs> okay. right? yes. uh, my favorite thing to do on embassy. So on embassy row, not every building is an embassy, um, and not every embassy in Washington D.C. is on embassy row. I always like to to clarify those two things, but a lot of them are embassies and thus have locked of flags flying in front of it and i love with um groups on a bus because you know on a bus you're kind of doing the highlight uh i'll point out and like um you're going north on massachusetts right um uh right right after dupont uh, right after you cross florida Mm -hmm. and i'm like and on the right you'll see the american embassy with the american flag flying out front and then i keep going on because then there's togo and sudan and all that stuff and it's always like two minutes later someone's like wait a minute (laughs) why is why is there an american embassy there's not it's not it is the headquarters national headquarters of the colonial dames Mm. um but i love that there's just like one random building with the american flag out front along embassy row so very much confuses everybody yeah I also love talking about the Society of Cincinnati. Mm. That's also a lot of fun. That's on Embassy Road. Not an embassy, but but a very cool story. A beautiful building. Beautiful building, yes. Multiple and you really that is the the draw of Embassy Row. And and as Camden pointed out at the beginning, it's one of my favorite places to point people to if they've sort of done the mall and the the Capitol and the White House, you know, the, the things you have to hit up. Um if they're looking for a neighborhood to explore embassy row is just gorgeous and it's like no other part of the city and it never will be all the rest of the city is being developed almost today um and this was really the heart of that gilded age um just when we cared about architecture when people gave a crap (laughs) there's a house that has a cat on the in the the roof line have you seen that no i forgot his name it was built by this naval naval person and cats are in the navy and so he wanted to honor all the cats So there's just like a cat gargoyle uh, (laughs) on the roof line. Yeah, there's just incredible architecture along Embassy Row. Um, It it doesn't have much to do with the embassies themselves. They kind of just took over this incredible architecture. That makes it such a unique DC thing. Uh, So I want to end with one important fact that I'm going to ask you to share (laughs) Um, about Embassy Row because I feel like if we are going to call this should have asked the tour guide, we mm-hmm. need to clear up myths in each episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I decide to go visit the British embassy mm-hmm. um, and I step onto the British embassy soil, am I in sovereign British territory? You are not. What? But I heard otherwise on the internet, Dan. The internet is lies. Okay. Except for us. We're technically on hey, the internet. Yeah. I guess we are on the internet. <laughs> uh, but yes, that is a common misconception about embassies in general. Um, 
and there is some truth to it you know it's one of those things that sort of has a kernel of truth to it but gets extrapolated into this thing that is just not true um so what what it is is that the united states has agreed by treaty the geneva conventions they have agreed by treaty never to enter an embassy without the express permission of the ambassador um, so what that means is the building could be on fire and theoretically um, firefighters could not enter the building without express permission from the from the ambassador. So there is it has the effect of sovereignty in that United States laws often do not cross the threshold because we can't cross the threshold without permission. Um, but as we see in World War II, you know, we took over the Japanese embassy once we were at war. Um, and really, it's just convention um, that we don't enter into these things. If we wanted to, we could. Um, and and it does leave for some weird things, like the fact that the Iran Iranian embassy has been abandoned since the 79 um, revolution. But it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful on the outside. True, true. Um, and if you look I this up, I, the Washington Post sent a photographer in there a couple years ago. And no one's been inside since 1979. They just shut it down. Um, so we have respected that, but we don't necessarily have to. Um, but by treaty, we have respected that. And it became, you know, a big part of the Iranian Revolution was invading the American embassy. Um, and even though that ground was not sovereign, we are bound by convention and bound by treaty to also defend the embassy. That's why um the hostage or the Iranian hostage crisis was such an international incident because the home country is supposed to defend it so you will see American security personnel the DSS the diplomatic security service will be outside many embassies it is our duty to protect those embassies um but it is not sovereign soil you don't magically get transported to England anytime you step onto uh the grounds there so that's not quite true they do however have a red telephone booth they do have a red telephone booth. Feel. And I also feel we should probably mention um, Embassy Week, right? Or Embassy Day. What's that called? It's like Embassy Month now. Embassy Month now? Okay. Well, yeah. it started. I mean, it it's started still with Embassy Week, but it lasts all month. <laughs> <laughs> it started with EU countries. They basically do a cool open house. And then other countries who weren't in the EU were like, hey, part of our mission here is cultural education. So uh, let's open let's open our houses too. So that's a really cool time to be in DC. When is that? Typically May. 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 Um, so check that out if you're if you are in all, at all enamored with other countries. It's one of the coolest things to do fun. in DC in May because basically you get to travel the world in like an afternoon, and they often have food and movies and literature, and it's a really yeah. great time to explore. That's my favorite thing to watch. Oh yeah, yeah. All the different cultural dancing. Definitely, definitely. Let's do some fast facts before we end. All right, fast facts. Zero. Um, I have none. <laughs> first, first country to recognize America. Ooh, I knew this because we asked this. Someone asked this, and now I can't. It's, it's, it's. I'm blanking. What is it? Morocco. Oh, that's right. I knew it was not. Your not like one of the ones you expect. Yes, yes. Um, do ambassadors live in the embassy? Technically, if it's an embassy, the ambassador is there. Um, you can get into like the technical parts where there is the residence, which can be separate from an embassy. Um, but then the administrative stuff that an embassy does is called a consulate. 
and if they're joined together if the re if the ambassador resides at the consulate yeah, right. then technically it is an embassy but we americans tend to use embassy the word embassy for like any diplomatic outpost uh just to clarify the administrative mm -hmm. in dc is a chancery chancery you're you're Constantly right other cities other cities yes yeah. just you know to be, to be no, no, you're right. i haven't done this tour in a while so yeah mm -hmm. you know. uh you you got this um these are not fast facts though <laughs> i guess there are no fast facts like well okay technically but you have to think about it this way uh okay well if any of our listeners have any questions about embassies in washington dc millionaires row the historic architecture any fast facts that we couldn't come up with should have asked for some before we started recording this let us know. You can follow us on social media at Tour Guide Tell All on Facebook and Instagram, or send us a message. Um, what is our email address? TourGuideTellAll at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this installment of Candid and Dan mini episode. Should, should have asked a tour guide, whatever, whatever we're calling this. Becca and Rebecca will be back next week with part two of part 1968. Two, yes. Part yeah. two of 1968. Um, if you are not already a patron um, of Tour Guide Tell All, you should be, um, because you are going to get all of that, those episodes early, and then a special patron-only episode at the end of the month. But in the meantime, Dan and I's next episode will be in person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll maybe we'll do some of them, a, a couple of them in person, depending on how tired we are. <laughs> After George. Um, thanks, Dan. My pleasure. It's nice to see you. Yes.